0: Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to Luke chapter 5. We're doing a, a, a sermon today called The Faith of a Friend. And this is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And I know I say that about every story that I teach on, but they really are. Every story in the Bible is absolutely awesome, even the ones that seem kind of crazy. Uh, but in this one, I love it because Jesus has been doing his earthly ministry now and he's been going around and he's been saying that I'm the Messiah, that the kingdom of God has come, and there are large crowds that are starting to be drawn to him. And what's unique about Jesus' message isn't that he says that he's the Son of God. I mean, we have a, those are a dime a dozen. You see people all the time claiming to be God or they're claiming to be the Son of God. What's different, though, is that Jesus actually showed that he was the Son of God. Now, my wife works in psychiatric health. She's a nurse. And she got hired right out of college into her first psych job. And she showed up there on her first day of work. And she didn't really know where she was going. She just went to the floor and someone came to her and said, "Hey, can I help you?" And she's like, "Yeah, my name's Anna Brown. This is my first day. I'm new here." It's like, "Oh, we've been expecting you, Anna. Come on in." And so the woman starts giving her the tour of the facility, introducing her to people, other employees, uh, different patients, just telling her how everything works. And after about 20 minutes of this tour, my wife looks down and notices that this woman isn't wearing any shoes. <laughs> she's barefoot. And she starts looking around at the other employees and they're all kind of snickering and laughing. And what's happened is one of the patients just came up, <laughs> said that she was the director of the floor, and started going around and showing her the robes. You can claim to be something, and that doesn't mean that's what you are. Jesus showed that he was who he said he was Because not only did he say that I'm the Messiah, that I've come to bring the kingdom of God to you, I've come to call you to repentance and to follow God's will for your life and receive new life in yourself, he demonstrated it by saying, see that sick person there? If I was crazy, could I do this? Boom, they're healed. I mean, just all kinds of crazy, miraculous things are happening to confirm that what Jesus is saying, that who he says he is, is real. And we find that now in Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 15, it says, But now even more the report about him went abroad. You know, when you start healing people, uh, people start paying attention. Word gets around pretty quick. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God. I love that. He's like, I can take your bed with you too. Don't leave that here. (laughs) And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Now, I love this story because when you look at it, you see someone who was incredibly sick, someone who was Uh, bound to their bed, couldn't move. There was no hope for this person. But with just one touch from God, he's completely healed. He gets up, he goes home. Uh, Jesus demonstrates the love and the power of God. So it's like the perfect story. A sick person gets healed. Jesus shows how much he loves us and everybody starts glorifying Jesus and they're amazed by what's happening in this. But as I was reading this story, um, probably a few years ago, it, it kind of struck me differently. For me, what struck me the most wasn't what had happened to this man and what Jesus had done for him. What really began to strike me was what these friends had done for him. And I remember telling God, like, you know, I want to see this happen. <clears throat> I want to see more sick people get healed. I want to see more of my friends have their sins be forgiven. I want to see more of them come to you and receive new life. I want to see salvation comes to my friends and to my family members that don't know you yet. God, why aren't you doing that today? And he spoke to me and he said, you know, here's the deal. Your friends still have great needs and I'm still the God who's able to meet all of those needs. The problem with your friends is that you haven't been a very good friend to them. You might have said it nicer than that, but that's how it felt to me. (laughs) Because you see, we all have friends that are desperately in need of a touch from God. God. Friends that need a miracle, friends that need to have that encounter with God where their sins are forgiven and they're healed, they're set free, they're saved, and they're delivered. Our friends still have the needs just like this man did. And our God is still the God who's able to meet every single one of those needs. The difference is is that we don't live the life like these friends did. We don't say, whatever it takes, I'm going to bear up my friends and I'm going to bear up their burdens and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get them into the presence of Jesus so that they can receive the same kind of miraculous touch upon their life that this paralyzed man had on his. We live in a very individualistic society. We want to respect everybody. We want to give them their space unless it's your family and then you're in each other's business. But this is a thing where I hope that my friends, they just come to know Jesus somehow and in some way. We don't want to impose on them. And I'm not saying that you can make someone come to Jesus. You certainly can't do that. It is a decision that they have to make. But you can get yourself in the game. You can say, this is something that's important to me and I'm going to make whatever sacrifice it takes in order to see this happen inside of their life. You see, I want my friends to have encounters with Jesus like this man had. But for that to happen, I have to become a friend like that man had. I have to become the friend that says, whatever it takes, I'll carry you on my back, I'll cut a hole in someone's roof that I don't know, I will lower you down before Jesus, but I'm going to make my life about making sure that the people that I know, my friends, my family, my coworkers, that I'm doing everything I can in my ability and my power to be the friend that they need me to be. I'm going to be the friend that takes my friends into the presence of the living God. And so if you want to see your friends have these kinds of encounters with Jesus that forever changes their lives, these are, what, these are the things that we can learn from the story of these friends of the paralyzed man. And number one, it's that the faith of a friend begins with prayer. The miracle for this man started with prayer. Prayer. In the very first few verses we looked at, it says that in the midst of all these healings and the crowds coming, Jesus is becoming more famous than ever. More people are hearing his message than ever. But instead of continuing to build on this platform and keep the momentum going, he's withdrawing away from the crowds to the lonely places to pray. And then it's out of the result of these prayers that it says that the, the power to heal was upon Jesus. Now, one of the hardest things to understand about Jesus and the model of prayer that he's setting for us is, well, isn't Jesus God? Yeah, he is. So then why is he praying? Can't he just do whatever he wants because he's God? Well, here's the tricky thing for us to understand about Jesus is that he was fully God, existing for all of eternity, but he also became fully human. It means that he wasn't the God just stayed distant and separate from us and said, guys, come on, figure this out. It's not that hard. Well, of course it's not hard when you're God and you have all the power in the world. But what he did was he came down and it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. What that means is that Jesus said, all right, I'm going to give up some of my divine attributes for a while here. I'm going to choose to limit my power so that when I come down to earth, I'm going to go through life just like my creations do. I'm going to know what it's like to not have all the power. I'm going to know what it's like to not know everything. I'm going to know what it's like to be tempted and to go through trials and tribulations. I'm going to know the hardships and the sickness and everything else that they go through. And a part of this was that meant that he had to pray. Because he couldn't just go out and heal people. He couldn't just perceive people's thoughts. He couldn't just raise the dead because he was God. He had to pray for the empowering of God in his life to do these things. He had to pray for the wisdom of God so that he knew what it was that God was calling him to do. And that's why he's getting away and he's praying to the Father. And he's saying, Father, I need the Holy Spirit. I need you to empower me. I need you to fuel the ministry that I am doing here on this earth. And so what Jesus did was he modeled for us the holy possible As a Christian, everything that Jesus did, we can do. He said that. Jesus said, The things you see me do, you will do, and even greater things than these. And that's why we can come to God with a faith and a confidence, knowing that He will work in the lives of our friends, is because the things that we saw Jesus do in this man, He said that we will see happen in our time, in our generation, in our own ministries. So Jesus is getting alone with the Father and he's praying. He's praying for God to reveal his will. He's praying that God would work healings, that he would give him boldness, that he would know what he's supposed to do just like we are supposed to. And in response to these things, God pours out his power on Jesus and he goes around and he does an incredibly miraculous ministry that sees people saved, set free, healed, and delivered. And this is the way that he prayed. It says in 1 John 5, 14-16, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So what this is saying is that when you pray according to God's will, that the things that you are praying for, you will see happen. That's a promise that God has made to us. That's how Jesus prayed. He prayed according to the Father's will. Even as he's getting ready to go to the cross, he's sitting there and he's saying, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let that happen. But not my will, but your will be done. How did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? He said to pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The model for prayer that Jesus set for us was to pray according to God's will. And as we pray for God's will to happen on this earth, we will see it happen. It's it's like a really simple thing, but it's pretty mind-blowing at the same time. And then the question becomes, well, what is God's will? Because I don't want to waste my time praying. Ain't nobody got time for that. I got stuff to do. (laughs) And so that's one of the uh, questions people bring me a lot. well, how do I know what God's will is so that I can pray effectively? Well, the best way you're going to find out what God's will is is to open up your Bible and see what God has told us His will is. One of the best things I do is I pray Scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what I pray when I'm praying for my friends and my family members and not coworkers. I work at a church, so all my coworkers are saved. <laughs> but what I'm praying for the lost that I know is that it says in Second Peter three nine, uh, speaking of God, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God's will is. And in 1 Timothy 2 4, it says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, what's God's will for our lost friends and family members? For those that don't know Him? It's for them to know Him. That's God's will. And so when I pray for them, I say, God, you said that you don't want for any to perish, but that you want for all to be saved and come to repentance to know you the truth and to receive life and freedom inside of them. So God, according to your will, I pray that over my friend Mike or Larry or Gary or whoever it might be, but that's what I pray. Say, God, this is your will that you have revealed and you said that when I pray according to your will that your will will be done. That was a lot of wills. Hey, Will, how's it going out there? (laughs) Threw that in there too. I even know a will. So it comes back to know what God has called us to do. He's called us to pray according to his will. So pray God's will over your friends and family members who need a touch from Jesus. And then, number two, the faith of a friend is centered upon Jesus. Everything that we do in life, there's an element of faith involved in it. Every day when I sit down in a chair, there's an element of faith that that chair is not going to collapse on me. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. So these friends, they don't go and they don't carry their, their paralyzed friend all of these miles and the heat and the sweat and the dirt. They don't cut a hole in someone else's roof that they don't even know and lower him down before the feet of Jesus, thinking, this probably isn't going to work. Or, yeah, nothing's going to happen. They have a faith in who Jesus is and in what it is that Jesus can do. They knew that Jesus could heal their friend. They knew that he would do that if they could just get him into the presence of God. And the same is true for us today. The God who healed this man is still more than able to heal our friends. The God who forgave the sins of this man is still more than able to forgive our sins and the sins of every other person on the face of this earth. And you know what? Today, it's even easier than it ever has been to get someone into the presence of God where they can have a miraculous encounter that changes their lives forever. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, you'd think, well, all i got to do is get him to Jesus. Like, that's so easy. If I could just do that, it would happen. But you know what? When Jesus was walking the earth, remember, he wasn't operating in all of the powers of God. He limited himself. He was only in one place at a time. So everybody else that wasn't in that one house with him, they didn't have access to the power and to the presence of God. And that's why Jesus said when he went to heaven, I think his disciples were like, hey, you rose from the dead, awesome, let's go do this thing now. He's like, no, now I'm leaving. And it's better for you that I leave. It's to your benefit that I leave. Because what's going to happen is after I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The power, the presence of God is going to be in you that I am going to live and reside in you. So now when you want to get someone in the presence of God, what do you have to do? You have to be someone who has the presence of God in you. This is what you need to recognize. You are a missionary to your friends and to your family, to your coworkers, to the people that are in your sphere of influence You are a missionary who goes there and every day that someone is around you, that person is now in the presence of God where they can have an encounter with God. It says that we are vessels that have been filled with the glory of the living God. That's who we are. And what we do is we go out there, we're leaky vessels. We spill God's glory on people. They hear God speak to them. They hear God encourage them. God does things inside of their hearts. So what you have to do is you have to recognize that everywhere you go, With every person that you interact with, your job is to help live, or your job is to live your life in a way so that these people who don't know Jesus can come to know Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Everywhere you go, people can have an encounter with the living God. That's what I love about Jeremiah's group. That's her whole philosophy. We're going to help people have encounters with God because we're going to go to them. And then number two, it's easy to invite your friends to go to church. You know what I love about church is you don't have to come to church to encounter the presence of God. You encounter that every day just as a Christian. But when you come to church, there's something about a bunch of people gathered together, filled with the presence of God, worshiping our God together. There's a different kind of an anointing that's over that you hear God speak in new and different ways. God moves in a different kind of way the more people gather. That's why he says, when two or three of you gather, there I am in your midst. It's not that God isn't with you if you're just by yourself, but there's a magnifying effect that happens as we gather together. I love sitting there in my basement every morning singing my worship tunes and I'm worshiping God and it's awesome and I encounter him in that. But when there's the group of us together corporately doing the same thing, it magnifies magnifies God's presence. So that's why, and go out there and minister to your friends. Tell them about God's love for them. Encourage them. Be there for them. But also invite them to church. Invite them to come into a place. I've had so many of you guys who have invited your friends here and they've made decisions to follow Jesus here. And they've come up to you and said, "I I said the exact same thing you said. You didn't tell them anything new. How come they responded when they heard it from you? I'm like, well, it's not that they heard it from me. It's that something clicked inside of them. When they came in and they encountered the tangible presence of God in a different way, everything that you've been telling them for all this time became true. And God moved on their hearts. So minister to your friends, but also invite your friends to come to church. And the good news about that is next week is Easter Sunday. That is the easiest day of the year to get your friends to come to church. Because even people that are atheists are like, I should probably go on Easter, you know, just to diversify my funds. Everybody goes to church on Easter, so this week, go out there, be praying for your friends, be encouraging them, be ministering to them, speaking life to them, but also say, hey, why don't you come to church with me this Easter? I think you'll like it. And then be praying for them that they'll respond to that. But we, as a people, those are the two easiest ways for us to help others have encounters with God. Live your life in a way so that whenever they have an encounter with you, they're having an encounter with God and then invite them to come in corporately with the body where they can experience community and a magnified presence of Jesus in our midst. And then, number three, persevere through difficulties. See, just because you've decided that, yeah, I'm going to pray for my friends and I believe that God is able to do something miraculous in their lives, that doesn't mean that they're going to respond right away. You see, for these guys, they're excited. They hear Jesus is in town. Jesus is healing people. Jesus can meet our friend's needs. So let's go get him to Jesus. But for them, it was hard. They didn't just hop in their car and go see Jesus. This man's—you know remember, he's paralyzed. They're carrying him. The, the guys are literally carrying their friend who can't move. And it's not just carrying him. He's on his bed, too. They're carrying their friend on his bed all the way to the place where Jesus is. That's hard work. That's sweaty work. That's tiring work. That's work where probably you think about giving up every now and then. And then when they get to the place of where Jesus is, they can't even get in. And it'd be easy to say, look, we tried, it just didn't work out. It wasn't meant to be. Maybe some other time. But they got up there on that roof. Remember, this isn't their home. This isn't even a home of a friend. This is a home of a stranger. And they start cutting a hole in the roof. You ever imagine, like, what's this homeowner thinking at this point? As the, the rubble starts falling on you, and you know, remember, it's like right over Jesus. They're dropping roofing on Jesus as they're doing this. That's pretty bold. When you go up to someone's house and you cut a hole in their roof, first of all, you're putting your life in danger because engineering back then wasn't that great. You've got to worry about the whole roof caving in, you dying and everybody underneath you. Then you've got to worry about, you're going to drop your friend. I don't know what they're trying to lower him with. They probably don't have winches. They're just probably lowering him on some bed sheets. That's dangerous for his friend. And then you've got to wonder, what's Jesus going to think about all of this? This doesn't seem very Jesus-y. <laughs> you know, if like the whole golden rule, do unto others as you want done to you, I don't think you want people cutting holes in your roof. Is Jesus going to be mad at them about this? Is this not the correct way? They're cutting in line. I'm pretty sure Jesus is against cutting in line. But these people say there is nothing that can keep us from getting our friend into a place where they can have a miraculous encounter with God. And every day with your friends, there are going to be difficulties that you come up against. There's going to be prayers that you're praying for years. There will be prayers that you might pray for decades. You might be living as an example of God's love and power to them, and you think, you know, after, sh- after I'm just going to lay out the gospel message for them, tell them much God loves them, and they're going to get saved, and it's going to be awesome, we'll go get baptized in a frozen river somewhere. But a lot of times that doesn't happen, and you can get discouraged. And you can say, maybe they're just too far gone, or maybe their heart's just too hard, nothing's ever going to happen here with them. And whenever that, I mean, that happens to me. I have one friend I've been praying for. I was counting it this morning. It has been 21 years now. I'm 34 years old. I've been praying for this one friend for 21 years. And there have been times in that 21 years where I thought, this is never going to happen. He's getting farther from God the more I pray for him. There have been times where I thought I saw some miraculous breakthrough. You know, we're talking and he's crying and I'm telling him about how much God loves him and we pray together and it seems like something awesome is happening, but... That usually happens when he's a drunk. He's a pretty philosophical, religious drunk. <laughs> and then the next day, he doesn't remember any of it. And so I was like, man, God, what's this going to happen in his life? But you know what? It's worth persevering for. Yeah. It's worth it when my friends who are atheists and are like, oh, here comes Jesus boy again, or whatever. Or they make fun of you and they ridicule you for it. They tell you, I don't want you praying for me or I don't want you telling me how much God loves me. Leave me alone. And I mean, I still respect them, but I'm never going to stop praying for them. I'm never going to stop modeling God's love for them. I don't care how much they ridicule me. I don't care how much the, whatever resistance it is I come against. If I see someone who's having a heart attack, I'm not going to, they say, hey, don't do CPR on me. Like, no, dude, I'm doing CPR on you and I'm doing mouth to mouth too. I don't care. (laughs) Like, no, please don't kiss me. And I'm like, no, I'm saving your life. I don't care. We don't want to just watch someone perish and die. We can't do that with our friends spiritually either. You have to persevere. Sometimes they kick you. Sometimes they do everything they can to resist it and you respect them, but you never give up on your prayers. You never give up on modeling and demonstrating it. You never quit enduring hardships. You never quit persevering. The Apostle Paul is an incredible example of this because remember, he was Saul at one point. He was Saul the Pharisee. He was Saul the one who was going around rounding up Christians and killing them. If there was anybody who was far from God, it was this man. But in one instant, After decades of resisting God's work on his life, he had an encounter with Jesus. And it changed everything. And he became the one that wrote most of the New Testament. He became the one that planted churches. He became the greatest apostle that ever lived. After decades and decades of resisting God, killing Christians, and doing everything that he could to run from God's call on his life, every one of our friends, every one of our family members, there is a God call on their life. And for every one of them, God's will for them is that they would not perish, but that they would come to the saving knowledge, that they would come to that understanding of God's love for them. Are we going to be the friends? Are we going to be the friends that pray? Are we going to be the friends that carry our own friends into the presence of Jesus? Are we going to be the friends that cut the holes in the roofs of people's houses and do whatever it takes for however long it takes, never growing weary, never growing tired, never giving up, never losing our faith in what it is that God can do? And then number four, what happens is eventually your faith is met by Jesus. It says when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. After all this believing, after all this struggling and persevering, their faith is met by Jesus. And that which they've been seeking for this crippled man is realized. Now the question I always ask myself, the one probably more than any other question is, when Jesus says to me, According to your faith, will it be done? What's going to be done? The question isn't when is Jesus going to meet our faith? I completely destroyed that. It's not if Jesus is going to meet our faith. Dramatic pause. It's when. He is going to meet your faith at some point. And when he says, according to your faith, let it be done. Are your friends, your family members, are their lives going to be drastically different? Or is it going to continue on the same? I want to make sure that in my life, when Jesus visits me and he says, The thing you've been believing for, we're going to see that happen now. I want this world to change. I want our city to change. I want my family to change. I want me to change. And that moment comes for all of us. There will be several times in your life where the things you've been praying for, the things you've been believing for, that's what God comes and that's what he answers. But so many times I'm afraid that when Jesus comes and visits us to answer our prayers, he answers them exactly the way we've been believing and we've been praying for. And we never even knew he visited because nothing changed because we never believed or had the faith that anything could change. And I'm not saying that to discourage you or to condemn you because this is speaking to me more than anybody in this room right now. This is what God's been speaking to me heavy this week as I've been preparing this message. When that moment comes, when Jesus meets your faith, what's going to happen? And I think it's important for us to have those honest evaluations of what is it that I believe? Do I just say in my mind that nothing's impossible for God? I'll sing it in a song, rah, rah. Or do I believe right here in my heart that nothing is impossible for God? That God really is the God who's pursuing my friends that are far from him? And this is what happens. Is that when our faith is met and we've been believing God for the miraculous, for his will to be done in our our friends' lives, it brings glory to Jesus. When this man was healed, when his sins were forgiven, it says that people are flipping out. People that might not have even believed the message of Jesus, when they see how this crippled man's life has changed in an instant, it causes them to have faith in Jesus. It says that they're in awe, they're in amazement, they're in wonder at what it is that God is doing. And when people see our friends change, you know, one of the greatest testimonies and proofs of God in my life is how God changed my heart. When my friends who knew me from high school meet me today, go, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor now. What? It's like one of those Satanist churches or something? <laughs> I'm like, no, we're a Christian church. And when they hang out with me, they're like, I'm a different person. They know that God has done something in me. And that makes them think, God can do something in to me too. That there's something to this gospel message. There's something to this story of Jesus. And you know what happens right after this story? I love it. Because in this story, one of the things we see, the commonality in all of these stories of Jesus healing and forgiving sins is that the people he's healing, the people whose sins he are forgiving are all people that the religious elites of the day thought had no business being in the presence of God. This man was paralyzed. That made him unclean. And they thought that if I hang out with someone who's unclean that now it tarnishes me so now I don't earn or I don't deserve God's love for me because I've been defiled by hanging out with this guy. And that's why the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes wanted nothing to do with it. And that's why when they looked at Jesus, they said, surely this man is not the son of God. He's a demon-possessed guy because no one who really is the son of God would go and hang out with these people who are going to defile him. But this is what Jesus says immediately after this story of the man being healed. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You see, Levi, we don't get this from our understanding of it, but Levi was a tax collector, and he was someone that was hated because he's ripping off people, he's extorting money from the people. And not only is he doing that, which makes you pretty hated, but his name, Levi, that means that he was of the tribe of Levi, he was a Jew. Not just a Jew, but he was from the priestly order of Jews. He was supposed to be serving in the temple. He was supposed to be ministering to other people to be blessing his nation. But instead, he was ripping them off. He was extorting from them. He was serving the hated Roman government. He was someone that the Jews hated and despised. He was as far away from God as you could be. His calling was to be a priest. And instead, he's ripping off God's people. But Jesus came to him and he called him. He didn't say, you have to earn my love. You don't have to deserve my grace on your life. He just came and he called him. Where he was, Levi didn't have to change his life a bit for Jesus to call him. God's love was extended to him exactly as he was. As a rebellious, extorting tax collector, And then in the other um, versions of this, it says that they go back to the house and there's drunkards and there's prostitutes and other people are there. These are the people that Jesus goes to. These are the people that he calls. And not only do I recognize the role that I have to play as a friend in this story, but I recognize that at one point I was that paralyzed friend. There was that point of where I was the one who was far from God. I was the one who was rebelling against God's calling in my life. And that while I was far from him, when I was as undeserving of God's grace and his love as I possibly could have ever been, that he came and he called me. He loved me. Just as I was. And that changed my life. And now everything I do in this life is based upon that love that I've experienced with God. And now everything in this life, I never have to feel like I need to earn something from God. I never feel like I have to deserve it and I never feel undeserving. I know that I'm a son now. And that's what God's doing to every one of you this morning. God's calling you to be a friend but he's also calling you to be a son. He's calling you to be a daughter. And this morning, if you've been living far from God, if you've been rebelling against him, if you don't know God, but this morning he's speaking to your heart, this morning, do like Levi did. Don't resist it. Get up and follow him. You guys stand with me this morning. let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that when you came, you didn't come for those that were healthy. You came for those of us that were sick. You didn't come for those that had it together. You came for those of us who were falling apart. And Jesus, we thank you that you didn't come to condemn us and to judge us, but you came to pour out your love on us. You came to forgive us You came to adopt us into your own family. And Jesus, we pray that this morning over every heart that you would speak to us, God, that you would call us again. And if that's you this morning, if God's calling you in your brokenness, in your sickness, if he's telling you, I love you, I've called you to be my son, I've called you to be my daughter, would you follow me? This morning, every I close. Would you just slip up your hand in the sign of Jesus, I'm responding to you. I hear you calling me. And today, I'm going to follow you. Today, I'm going to live as a son. Today, I'm going to live as a daughter. Thank you. And Father, this morning, would you speak to us? Would you put friends, would you put family on our heart that you've called us to minister to? And God, would you fill us with a passion for them Would you fill us with a faith of what you can do in their life that is greater than any fear, that is greater than any doubt, a faith and a vision that would compel us to go to them, that would compel us to pray for them for hours and days and years, God, whatever it takes, God, that we would be those who bear them on our own backs and carry them into your presence. Jesus, would you put those people on our hearts now? Reveal what your will is for their life. Jesus, we pray for that. So this morning, we're going to pray. Your first is for those of you that Jesus is calling. Let's just pray this together. If that was you this morning, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I ask that you would forgive my sins. I ask that you would fill me with a new life today. I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you would speak to me. That I would hear your voice. That you'd give me strength to follow you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again. And that now I can live out of that new life that you won for me. And for those of us that God's putting someone on your heart right now, God, we pray for these people that you've put on our hearts. Jesus, we know your will is that none should perish, but that all should be saved. God, we know that you have the power, you have the ability to miraculously speak to them. God, so we pray that you would give us words, God, that you would give us the ability to live a life that compels them to believe in you. Father, we pray that we would be the demonstration and the model of your love. God, we pray that you would bring others into their life that would encourage them. Father, we pray that you would speak to their hearts, God, in dreams, God, that you would give them visions, that in their quiet time they would hear you speak to them. Father, we pray that you would open blind eyes to see your truth. God, would you unstop deaf ears to hear your voice speaking to them. Jesus, would you expose the lies that the enemy has been speaking to them and instead reveal your truth. God, we know that it was your goodness that led us to a place of repentance. It was that revelation of how great your love is for us that made us trust you and know that we could surrender our lives to you. So, Jesus, would you do that in the lives of these people you've put on our hearts? Jesus, we pray that in our families, that in our friends, in our workplaces, God, that in our city, that we would be a people who call upon you, the living God, a people who live our lives saved, set free and delivered. God, that we would live in the freedom that you won for us from sin. Jesus, we pray for a new identity for our city, that this would be known as a place where people have miraculous encounters with you that change their lives forever that we would be a people who lay down our lives for your kingdom cause, a people who go to the least and to the lost, to the sick and to the forgotten, and lay down our lives that they might find the life that comes only from you. And Jesus, we pray that this Easter, as people gather in this very room and fill these seats, Jesus, that first of all, that you would draw people here that the invitations we extend, Lord, that they would do something in the hearts of others, that there would be a curiosity and an interest that is uh, worked up by the Holy Spirit. And, Father, as people come here, Lord, that through the worship, through the greeting, through the teaching, that they would hear your love, that they would experience your grace and mercy, and that it would be a day where many in our city come to know you. And it would be the start of something new that you're doing here. And Jesus use us. Use us as missionaries in our city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.